Good morning, all. It is uh, my privilege to uh, share God's word with you this morning. And let me begin by, by summing up God's word to us uh, in a very simple way. I say to you, rejoice, for this is the good news, grace, mercy, and truth are ours from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ through the working of the Holy Spirit. And we say, Amen. I'm grateful for the privilege of sharing God's Word and uh, would urge all of you to keep our Pastor Mark in, in your prayers as he looks forward to getting finally the surgery that he has been looking forward to and is coming soon. And I know you are looking forward to him coming back. In the meantime, as uh, Pastor Nick uh, said, uh, when I retired full-time from a church in Baltimore, uh, Pastor Mark said to me, I want you to come to work part-time for me. And I said, how long? And he said, oh, about four years maybe. Can you do that? And I said, I think I can do that. Uh, Twelve years later, I, I said to him, I said to him, uh, Mark, I said, I, I, I think you've got a wonderful assistant now. Uh, that was Pastor Steve and uh, now Pastor Nick. And I said, you don't need me anymore. And he says, well, I'm not going to fire you. And I said, well, then I quit. <laughs> when we came back from across the bay, where we spent five years, uh, we came to live close to my daughter, who teaches in the public school system in Montgomery County. and. Um, there was no place else that we would even consider worshiping than with, except for here. So uh, I thank you for the opportunity to be with you and to share God's word. And it's based on that gospel lesson you heard read so beautifully. When I told Pastor Mark that I'd be pleased to, to step in and help out in bringing the message today, uh, all I knew was he said, Bob, I want you to I want you to concentrate on the gospel lesson for today, which is what you heard read. But I hadn't looked at it before I said yes. And when I looked at it finally later, I had to chuckle to myself. When I realized in today's gospel, we hear Jesus saying that the washing of hands isn't all that important because nothing that goes into the body from outside can defile a person. And I sat there thinking to myself, yeah, right. Try telling these folks who have been hiding behind masks for over a year and who have been washing their hands like crazy that this is an important <laughs> stuff that goes in from the outside. But of course, I think you all know uh, that this gospel reading addresses something other than physical cleanliness when Jesus uses the word defile. Uh, it is something we all wrestle with every day, uh, something that something other is sin. But specifically today, as we listen to what Jesus is saying in this gospel, it is sin as it manifests itself as hypocrisy. Hypocrisy. I know from personal experience over the years that one of the most often heard criticisms of the church is that it is full of hypocrites. People who preach one thing and often say and do the opposite. 
I suspect some of you have heard that before from maybe acquaintances, friends, whatever. Uh, but I've heard it many, many times. And the truth is, it's a difficult criticism to deal with because we know that these accusations are often not only true of some Christians, but sooner or later, every Christian, all Christians, we are all hypocrites at times. So how do you respond to these accusations? What can we say to these people? More importantly, what can we tell ourselves? Well, today's gospel lesson is helpful because it deals head on with this problem of hypocrisy and its opposite, namely, a whole, a total devotion to loving the God who created us and gave us life with all our heart, mind, strength, and soul, everything, and loving one another as we have been loved by that God. And I do mean all others. But first, let me be clear about something, in case you misunderstand me. When I say we are all hypocrites, it's true. But there are some folks that live in this world with us who are committed to hypocrisy as a chosen way of life. That's the way they operate. And they've gotten very clever at it. But I don't believe that's true about me, and I don't believe it's true about you. I believe that we desire with all our heart to live our lives in tune with God's expectation of us in loving him with a whole love and our neighbor as ourselves. Yet, despite what we want to do, we discover, don't we, this persistent inconsistency between what we profess as Christians and the way we often think, speak, and act in our lives. The kind of hypocrisy I'm talking about was vividly portrayed many years ago now in a, in a PBS program by Bill Moyer, some of you are old enough to remember Bill Moyer, uh, aired about his, his hometown where he grew up, Marshall, Texas. We got any Texans here? Yeah, we do. Marshall, Texas. And in that uh, documentary, Moyer reveals to us a, a, a small town, USA town, at its best. A town filled with devout Christians who obviously cared very much for each other and helped one another and served one another, as we've been talking about. But a people that failed to recognize the inconsistency, shall we say, hypocrisy between their care for one another and their lack of care, their blatant racism toward people of color in their own town. Hypocrisy. It is this same kind of hypocrisy St. Paul describes in the seventh chapter of Romans when he says of himself, 
We're not talking about Paul of Sarsus before his conversion. We're talking about St. Paul says of himself, writing to the church in Rome, the good that I want to do, I find I don't do. And the evil I don't want to do is precisely what I'm often finding myself doing. It is this kind of hypocrisy that we are all guilty of, whether we are aware of it or not, and I suspect we are aware of it all too often. All of us must admit this terrible inconsistency between uh, what we confess here in worship each Sunday and the way we often live the rest of the week in all of our relationships, in our marriages, in our families, in our neighborhood, in the place where we work, where we shop, everywhere we go, everywhere we live in with other folks. It is evident also in the ways in which we abuse our own God-given bodies and the rest of creation that has been entrusted to us by God to take care of. Take care of my garden, he says. The environment the world. We are the stewards of this world charged by God and we fall so far short. It's time to wake up. When we are honest and recognize this hypocrisy in ourselves, it becomes pretty depressing, doesn't it? It's happened to you. We are moved to ask how, why this happens. We think we understand how in their awful pride, the Pharisees who are mentioned in this reading by Jesus decided to major in minors by superficially keeping all kinds of extraneous laws that they made up based on the original 10 commandments, many of which didn't come from God at all so that Jesus elsewhere talks about them being very careful to tithe common and dill and I suppose some other uh, those kinds of things while all the time ignoring the heart of God's command how do we explain our own hypocrisy given our understanding of what God's law finally boils down to this whole and complete love, total love for him with all our heart, mind, and strength, and our neighbor as ourselves. More than that, how do we explain this hypocrisy in the light of our knowledge of Jesus, the Son of God himself, who came among us and gave us a perfect example of the kind of life we were created to live toward one another in him as he loved us and gave himself completely for us that we might be his own and live under him and serve him, says Luther, in everlasting righteousness, innocence, and blessedness. How do we explain? Well, it's our Lord who gives us the answer in today's gospel reading. He tells us our problem is a heart problem. It's the problem we confess when we say together we are in bondage to sin and cannot free ourselves, or again, uh, we sin against you, Lord, in thought, word, and deed. We are sinful and unclean. We sin against you in thought, word, and deed. 
The problem is that our hearts are unclean. Our hearts are unclean. And if our hearts are unclean, it should not surprise us that our thoughts and our words and our acts often are unclean. A problem of of the heart, therefore, will not be dealt with by outward observance, rituals, disciplines, just as one can't make a well-used garbage can clean and sweet-smelling by simply wiping the outside of it. The cleansing has to take place within our hearts, and we don't have that ability to do it ourselves. We need help, and we have help. Jesus is the help that God sends to us. Like the Pharisees before us, you and I also often devise our own standards of cleanliness often to get around that, Uh, standards that we think we can measure up to pretty easily so that when we do finally stumble, what we say to people is, well, after all, I'm human. I'm only human. No, we are sinful human beings, and we need help. We need a new heart, and God gives us that new heart. If all this Sounds a little depressing to you. I'm not surprised it was for Paul, because after observing that instead of doing what he knew God wanted him to do, he often did the exact opposite. He cries out in Romans 7, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? But his despair is short-lived, because he quickly answers his own question with the good news, capital G, capital N, that had been revealed to him by Christ. He shouts out with great relief and joy, thanks be to God who gives us the victory, who gives us by grace the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. This means that if there is any hope of cleaning up our acts, it will not depend on us, but on our Lord Jesus Christ And it will begin with the cleaning up of our hearts. It will begin when we say with the hymn writer, nothing in my hands I bring, simply to thy cross I cling, O Lamb of God, I come, I come. Only Jesus can give us a clean heart, the heart we so desperately need and desire. He is the only one who can make us clean from within so that sin no longer reigns over us. By his death, he paid the penalty for our sin and removed from us the stain of sin. And he gave us a new heart, free to serve God. He is the one, Jesus, who can and does create in us a clean heart and renew a right spirit, the Holy Spirit within us through our baptism into his death and resurrection where we become one with him. Once through faith we let Christ clean up our hearts, we begin to discover that by the presence of his spirit we have the ability to begin to clean up our acts, 
and rid ourselves of hypocrisy. But mind you, as long as we are in this body, in this fallen world, as people who are at the same time, Luther says, saints and sinners, never perfectly, never perfectly, don't expect that. But in the submission of faith in Christ, we are declared clean. We are declared clean. And that same Christ is able to take charge of our lives so that we are able to say with the apostle, it is no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me and the life I now live in the flesh. I live by the faith of, of the Son of God who loved me, who loved you and gave himself for you. He's with you to draw on the power that he alone can give so that out of your heart you can love God as he loved him and love your neighbor, all your neighbors, as yourself. Again, not perfectly, knowing that when you stumble and fall, there he is to pick you up again and say, my child, I love you. Your sins are forgiven. Have a go at it again and again, because I will be with you and walk with you. It is from that faith relationship with Christ then, that sincere and unhypocritical obedience to God begins to flow. Again, not perfectly, but an obedience that gives glory to God and to true joy in serving the Lord, the one who created you, and true peace through the assurance of forgiveness when you fall short. May that obedience, may that joy, may that forgiveness be with us, be ours as we go about the business dear brothers and sisters, of cleaning up our acts. God grant it for Jesus' sake. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.